Nice to be here and nice to spend some time with you at uh, Melbourne City Church. Um, when Roy contacted me and he said, we come along and, and I said, yeah, I'd love to. And then he gave me a topic. He said, I want you to talk about why church is important. Good topic. But in some ways, I feel like I'm preaching to the converted because you're here. You've made your way into here and found your way up to the 10th floor and you're here. But since I said yes to Roy, I've changed my mind. I found something else I think is more important. I was walking past the Lorna Jane store and this brochure was there. Are you living your best life? Good question, hey? And I thought, well, every day is another chance to change your life. And it says, be brave, create your own future. And then, oh, she's got the steps to her active living. She calls it her trinity of nourish, believe, and activity. And, oh, let me tell you what else she's got. She's got this little commitment that you make. Listen to this. A promise to myself. You go, I, and you fill in your own little name here. So I, Brendan Pratt, commit to love myself unconditionally and wholeheartedly. I will honour and respect my beliefs and I will always stay true to myself. I will treat myself with the utmost love, care and dignity. I will listen to my heart over my head and I will choose love in every decision. I will breathe deeply. I will cherish every moment. I will believe in myself. I will believe in my dreams. I will believe that anything is possible with me. You've committed to this? <laughs> I will stay optimistic and look at the world with kind eyes. I will start each day with belief in me. It's interesting that she's talking about Lorna Jane. Has anyone, you've seen her 155 stores across Australia, hey? No? Well, guys, you probably haven't because girls go shopping there. She doesn't make boys' clothes. But Lorna Jane is, she's CEO of Lorna Jane um, active wear, and she says, I believe happiness should be the ultimate purpose in your life. It's achievable for all of us. So when it comes down to it, happiness, and she says again, the ultimate purpose, begins with the decision to change the way you live. Dare to be happy. Dare to change immediately. Don't wait for something else. You can be happy now, which is great. Lorna Jane it says, is founder of the multi-award winning active wear label, Lorna Jane. Um, they don't call her CEO. She's the lead philosopher, by the way. And she says, our vision extends beyond our product. We don't just sell active wear. We sell active living. Our garments are a way of life. Our garments encourage women to activate their best version of themselves. And our garments encourage women to reach their full potential. You can read this on their website if you... Our customers are the culture and essence of our brand and their loyalty has always been incredibly special. When people wear Lorna Jane... They are not just wearing clothes, they are wearing a community. It's a community that wants to be fitter, healthier, and more inspirational. So there you go. So sorry, guys, I've become a Lorna Jane follower, and she's my lead philosopher. And we laugh, but do you know what? What she says is really quite significant. Because you and I live in a culture where we say exploring a Christ-centered worldview. That's a very unusual thing because we live in a culture that has a worldview that starts with believing myself. Um, Lorna Jane actually makes a sports bra that says, keep this word on your heart, believe. And it's on the inside of there so you can keep the word believe on your heart. And so she makes 
Well, you can, you can read all her philosophies in the... If you walk past and pick up these, it's like picking up a little discipleship guide. But it's individualised spirituality, individualised community. We live in a world where... Why do I know such, so much about Lorna Jane? I think Shannon's thinking, why does Brendan have Lorna Jane brochures? He's looking at me sort of a little bit... Um, part of my PhD, I'm doing a case study on various companies and how they commodify spirituality and how they use spirituality to sell the brand and how the brand, they sell community. In a culture that is disconnected and anti-community, brands try to become the community. And that's one of the brands that's branding community. So we live in a world where we make the starting point me. Consumerism does that. Consumerism puts the starting point as me. In consumer culture, individualized culture, in this culture where time equals money, in this culture where if you take my time, you're threatening my happiness, in this culture that puts me at the center, then the opposite to consumerism is community. Community is the very thing that gets destroyed in consumerism. And that's why when Roy said to me today, can we talk about why church is important? I'm like, yes, because I think that topic is important because reality is... Western consumer culture is so much driven by consumerism that we fit in without even thinking, as Paul says in Romans 12. He says we get dragged down to this society's level of maturity. He says we fit in without even thinking is how Eugene Peterson paraphrases Romans 12, 3 in the Message Bible. He says without even thinking, we become, we imbibe the values of the culture around us. And you and I grow up in a culture that doesn't direct us towards a Christ-centered worldview. It directs us somewhere very different. And without even thinking, those 3,000 messages a day that we get from billboards, from the back of buses, from our computer screen, from magazines, from our newspapers, it's telling us that we need to be a better version of ourselves, but the better version of ourselves starts with another purchase. It's saying, if you want to be a better version of yourself, then you need another product. If you get this, that, or something else, then you're going to be a better expression of who you are. But once again, that puts me at the center. And in consumer culture, we won't spend lots of time in consumer culture because Roy's already done a little bit of this. In consumer culture, community is what gets destroyed and left behind. Reality is you and I have more ways to connect than ever. We live closer together than ever. We sit in traffic closer than ever before. Yet we're the most isolated, disconnected society in the history of the planet. We have more lonely people in Western culture than any other society. What happened? What's going on? Well, I would say as we've, we've taken religion out of all of life meaning... There was a time when our religion was our system that we sought meaning in and became part of all of life. We've separated that and put it on the margins of society. We've made spirituality a commodity that might take some of the tokens of former religion and taken some of the, the what we might see as the commodifiable pieces, but we're saying, well, let's leave the baggage behind and religion's out on the edge. Interestingly enough, a guy called Rittenhouse has written a really good book on religiosity in our culture. And he does say, quoting Karl Marx, he says, religion is the opium of the people, but he says our current religion is consumerism. He said that has become our religion. That's what we depend on. That's where we've invested our hope and meaning. That becomes our shared dialogue. That becomes our common language. That becomes the object of our affection. That becomes the system for our worship. That becomes the place for hope and desire. The desire and hope that once upon a time we put in God and eternity 
eternity. We take that and put it in temporal things because we think a better version of me is just another purchase away, but it's always just another purchase away. So my desire becomes for what I don't own yet. Consumerism is not about what you have. It's what you're attached to that you don't own yet. And that takes my desire away from God and makes my God out there and I'm desiring there. And in doing that, I become the master of my destiny. And in doing that, I become individualized. Spirituality becomes privatized. And we become disconnected because I actually don't care about you unless you add value to my sense of well-being and happiness. You exist as a commodity because I learned how to turn everything into commodity. I, not just a product. I'll look at experiences. I'll look at church. And I'll make church a commodity. And church will exist to how valuable I find it to my sense of happiness. If it's not contributing, I will just go looking for somewhere else. Church becomes another product on the marketplace shelf of life. And often we end up consuming one another. We turn one another into commodity. We turn people into commodity. We turn church into commodity. We turn ideas into commodity. Tim Kasser writes in The High Price of Materialism. He says, as seven-year-olds, we just already know how to turn everything into commodity. And we can look at an idea, we can look at a system, we can look at a product, we can look at a person and very quickly determine how valuable they are to my happiness. So that's the culture we live in. We can chat about more of that this afternoon perhaps. But in all that, there's something else going on. In all that, there's a call to be radical community, which is the exact opposite of where our culture calls us to. So amongst all that, there's this New Testament community. There's these one another's of Scripture. And that's what we want to talk a little bit about this morning. What's the opposite to consumerism? The opposite to consumer culture is community. But it's not just any community. And, and as I say, brands are already realizing that. Advertising has changed. Advertising used to, in the 1960s, 70s, if you look at a product being advertised, it told you what that product was about and what that product did. Today, it tells you a story. It's not so much what the product actually does, it's the story that product represents and what that story means for my story. And the brand becomes community. In the middle of that, we lose real community. And we want to talk about why church is important, because church is community. If you go back to the book of Acts, where Jesus um, has gone back to heaven, but here's these disciples finding what it is to be this new community, this new community that Jesus talked about, this new community that in John 17, just before Jesus goes to the cross where he's pleading with the Father and said, they, may they be in me, may I be in them. May others see that you reflected through them by my your love reflected through me, reflected through them, and may people be drawn through you through them. They've, they're looking at all these things that Jesus taught. And they're thinking, what does this new community look like? What is this new community? And in Acts, you start finding out about a new community. You start finding about this whole new expression of these people who are saying, there's a different way of doing life. There's this Christ-centered worldview. And Acts is the early church exploring what this Christ-centered worldview looks like when it's lived out in a community of people. So you read in Acts, we find in Acts chapter 2, all through Acts, you find these pictures of church, where those who have cared for those who have not. They met together and, and prayed for one another. They, in this new community, 
Sure, at, at, initially they were still meeting in the synagogue until they, they got kicked out of there. But church wasn't something you went to. Do you know you don't find the sentence, I am going to church? That sentence does not exist for the first 300 years of the church's existence. So in Acts, in the New Testament, you don't find the sentence, I'm going to church. Why? It's not until 300 AD that you find anywhere written, I'm going to church. Why do you think that is? Because in Acts, their thinking was the word for church, the Greek word they use for, that we translate church, ekklesia, is the same word for community. It is the same deal. And you don't say, I'm going to community, do you? Community is where you live. Community is who you are. And in the New Testament, they believed that when I met Roy, I've met church. When I met Shannon, I've met church. When I met Michael, I've met church. Because church is us. And it's not the something I go to. Now, sure, we meet together. And they met together in one another's homes. But they're saying church is the system of us. Let's fast forward a little bit and we'll give a quick history overview. And those of you who are historians, apologies that we've gone so quickly through all this. We get to 300 AD. We meet a man called Constantine. And when I say Constantine, you think? Do you think anything? Does anyone have any time for Constantine? Does anyone know anything about Constantine? Changed the law. Changed the law. What did he do? He changed the calendar. He changed all sorts of stuff. Constantine was quite remarkable. He's the one who we often talk about changing the, the Sabbath to Sunday, but he did more significant stuff. Constantine, now keeping in mind, to be fair to history, keeping in mind the church had changed to the point they allowed Constantine to do this, but Constantine made Christianity the religion of the empire. What about if Tony Abbott got up tomorrow and said, everyone in Australia has to be Adventist? Good thing, bad thing? Bad. But, but don't we want more people as part of our church community? Yeah? They have no choice. And what, would that be a problem? We'd have this place full. We'd take the whole, we'd fill the whole building. No choice. But what, what about, what about Tony Abbott said, you have to be Adventist and we're going to give all the churches that belong to the other denominations, we're going to give them to the Adventists. Would we like that? We'd have all their buildings. We think this is odd. There was a time in history when it happened. When Constantine says Christianity will now be the religion of the empire. Now, for all sorts of political reasons, Constantine had some disagreements with the priests of their pantheon of gods and all their other gods. And he's decided, I can deal with this. You guys are gone. This little bunch over here, you're now it. They've only got one god and he's not even here. So let's put, you all have to be Christian. Now, if I get to heaven and meet Constantine and find out he had a heartfelt conversion, I'll be like, sorry, Constantine, I thought you did this simply for political reasons. I didn't realize you'd actually given your heart to God. But it seems like for simply political reasons, Constantine makes Christianity the religion of the empire. But then what he does, he says, you all have to be Christian. And in fact, you all have to turn up at church once a week. In fact, let's make it on Sunday because that's when you're already turning up. So you turn up once a week. You pay up. If you didn't pay up, you got fined, by the way, which is, I think is a great system for church building funds today. So if you didn't pay up, you got a fine. So you had to pay up. You showed up. You paid up. You listened to a sermon. And this is the first time we get the professional clergy. You listen to a sermon, most times in a language that didn't make a lot of sense to you. 
then you went home. You didn't do evangelism because everyone had to be Christian anyway, so there's no use doing evangelism. Evangelism is something on the edge of the empire. This is when you start baptizing babies because if you've got to be Christian anyway, you might as well baptize the babies. So you turned up, you paid up, you showed up, you paid up, then you went home. And you went home to what? What did you believe for the rest of the week? You believed what you always believed. You still sacrificed to the same gods you always had. And if you wanted your crops to flourish, you still prayed to the same God you always did. And if you wanted your wife to bear sons, you still prayed to the same God you always did and did the same fertility rites. You went back to what you always did until, until next week on Sunday. When what did you do? You turned up. So you showed up. You paid up. You got a service done to you. And then you went home. This is the first time when church becomes the building. This is the first time, because all the buildings get given to the church, this is the first time when someone said, I'm going to church. Up until then, church was the community that I was part of. And where I was, church was. And where you were, church was. And so church wasn't in a building. Church was in all sorts of spaces. Like today, church would be wherever you're working, wherever you're studying. That's where church is because that's where you are. When someone has met you, guess what? They've come in contact with the church. But... 300 AD, things change. And all of a sudden, church is somewhere I go to, I turn up, I pay up, get a service done to me, then I go home. I don't have to get involved in it because someone else is doing that job. My job is just to do what Constantine said. So not only did Constantine, we we get worried about Constantine changing Sabbath to Sunday, that's a relatively minor thing overall, because he changed the very nature of how church works. So today... Do you think we do church more in a Constantine or in a New Testament, new community way of church? How do you think we think about it? We sort of make church a building, don't we? We sort of make church the organisation. And church does have buildings and church does have organisations. And that's true. And we say, we'll see you at church. And I can see why people say that. Our language has taken on that meaning. But at the same time, sadly, we can lose community. And sadly, a church can be a place where you turn up and you show up, you pay up, you get a service done and you go home. And you go home to what? You go home to the same place you always went for your hopes and your dreams. You go home to the same place that you always look to for meaning and purpose. And guess what? That is now culture. Consumerism has become our folk religion. And so we go back to our folk religion until next week when we turn up, we pay up, we get a service done, and we go home. That's not what it's meant to be. And that's why when I see this, I get a bit excited. Because if we're going to explore a Christ-centered worldview, then we're going to get a different picture of what church is. And that's a picture that makes it important because that's a community. And that's why I get excited when Gene Hull or someone was up there talking about going out for tea and someone's talking about a social that you're going to be doing and someone's talking about hanging out together because that is church. Church is not the service. Church can have a worship service. It's part of expressing who we are as a church community. But church is community. And that's the opposite to consumerism. Church is the new community where there is new dignity. Where in Galatians 3.11 where it says there's no Jew, no Greek, no free, no slave, no male, no female. Because we're all Christ's children in here together. And church is the new community that turns society on its head. Church is the revolution. That's what, if we're going to address consumer culture... 
then I believe, sure, there's all these other things that we can be doing. And if you read books on consumerism, it talks about simplification and it talks about benevolence and social justice, all really good things. But it won't really address consumerism because consumerism is at its root a meaning-making system based on individuality of me. What a consumerism is a community that does the one-anothers that loves one another and serves one another and cares for one another, and a community that lives beyond myself, a community where all of us are committed to a different way of doing life, committed to community, not individualism. So one of the reasons I think church is so important is because it is this new community. And in a world that devalues community, where community doesn't matter, this is the way of doing it. But it's not just any community, because you could be thinking, I could join an RSL, I could join a sports club, I could join the local tennis group, I could do that for community, and you could. I could care for one another there, and I could eat with them and have socials with them, and I could find community there, and you could do that. But I think church is exciting. I did have PowerPoints. We need to, uh, don't worry about those. Because <laughs> otherwise you've got to do two things at once, like Graham showed us before, you've got to click and talk. But church is a different community because it's not just getting together. It's community with a mission. And community with a mission is a big deal. You don't get together just to have fun. Having fun's great. But this is a community with a mission to transform society and live out this Jesus story and become the kingdom in Melbourne. Because if we go back to, well, let's go back to Jesus' time. And there's all sorts of stories being lived out. And it's not just in Jesus' time. We live out all kinds of stories. Any empire, any culture lives out a story. Mark Griffith um, sociologist says we have what he calls a framing narrative. He says we live out of these framing narratives, we live out of these stories. He says there's basically um, five framing narratives that we live out of. Um, let me write on the board here. Five. We got a marker here somewhere. There was three sitting there earlier. That's okay. Someone must have. Someone cleaned them up for you, Roy. So we live out of these framing narratives. We live out of these different stories. The first story is the domination story. And we look to these stories for our peace and security. So we think, oh, here we go. Shannon's gone that way. You've come this way. (laughs) Shannon, you can come back, man. (laughs) They're coming from everywhere. (laughs) Um, when, When I was first a pastor in New Zealand... Shannon was one of the teenagers in the church I pastored. That's why I have a special affinity for Shannon, if I don't know why I keep referring to him. And, and the, we used to use overhead projectors, and the very first time we used PowerPoint, Shannon was the man who did all our PowerPoints for us. And he used to do these really cool, funky PowerPoints way back before anyone did really cool, funky PowerPoints. He was excellent. Anyway, enough about Shannon. That's why I'm a big fan of Shannon. Okay, we live out of these stories, the domination story. In this story... If I'm in control, then everything's going to be okay. okay. And I will tell you what to do, and if you do it, we're going to be fine. And so we live out this domination story in workplaces. We live it out in marriages. We live it out in families. We live it out as a country. 
as empires. It's an empire story of domination. Do it my way or else. And if it's not done my way, we have a problem. There's another story. It's the revenge story. This is the group that don't like the domination story. They're the group that say, we don't like your way. In actual fact, we're going to get revenge. And it's going to be better if we had it our way. And we're going to overthrow you and get rid of your domination. And we've got a revenge story. And if we're in control, things would be better. You'd have peace and security and we'd feel good if we had it. These people are oppressing us. Let's get rid of them. So they live out a revenge story. And the whole world is coloured by revenge. This whole world is coloured by domination. What happens when the revenge story people win? Then they start living out this purification story. And these stories can be, can be truly dangerous. In this story, now I'm in charge and things still aren't working. So it must be those people over there. Or in Nazi Germany, it must be those Jews. It's those homosexuals. It's those intellectuals. Let's round them and get rid of them. If we get rid of them, then we're going to be fine. And guess what? We play this out in marriages. Unfortunately, sometimes you see it played out in churches where it's that group over there. It's those liberals. It's those conservatives. Let's get rid of them. And then we'll be okay. So we play out the purification story. Or there's another story where I'm sick of all these stories. I'm out of here. And it's an isolation story. We're going to go and set up our own little spot. We like community. Let's all go to Byron Bay and buy a little piece of property there and let's have a commune. Yep, good idea. Sounds nice. No, no one's keen to go to Byron Bay with me and have a little commune. Shannon's coming with me. Thanks, Shannon. You're still loyal. (laughs) And so we live out these different stories. There's the accumulation story. And all these stories can cross with each other. In this story, if I just had enough stuff, I'm building my own little Babylon. If I could have my things my way, then I'm going to be fine. If I just had that house, if I just had that. Or as a country, if we could just increase our borders to there. So we play out domination, revenge, purification, isolation, accumulation stories. And these stories have been played through empires all through history. Unfortunately, they've been played in marriages and families and workplaces all through history. These stories were around in Jesus' time. Who's playing out the domination story? The Romans. The Romans were the dominating group. Well, how did Jesus respond to the Romans? Did he say, let's overthrow them? Let's have a revolution? He had a revolution of a different kind, but to the Romans he's saying, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But he's also saying to the domination story, the first will be last if the greatest amongst you is a servant. He's saying domination is not the answer. You can be in charge, but it means nothing because the greatest amongst you really is the servant. What about revenge story? Who was, having, who was playing out the revenge story in Jesus' time? Anyone know but much about who's... Who are the group that wanting revenge against the Romans? You ever heard of Simon the Zealot? The Zealots, they were the group that were going to down with the Romans. The time of Jubilee is coming. Romans destroyed. What's Jesus say to that bunch? He says, if your enemy takes your shirt, what do you do? If they take your, give them your coat. If they ask you to carry it one mile, what do you do? Carry it two. He's saying, no, no, revenge is no answer in there. He says, leave, leave the revenge to God. And that's what Paul writes in Romans 12. Let God sort that one out. Purification story. Who's playing that story? The Pharisees. You're right. They're like, we don't want anything to do with them. Don't even let their shadow cast on you. If They are the problem. 
We're the pure group here, and if we can become pure, then the Jubilee can come. It's that bunch over there. They're the problem out there. What's Jesus say to them? He's saying, well, he says a lot of stuff to them, including that they're whitewashed tombs rotting down underneath. He calls them a brood of vipers. He calls them, you're destroying my children. What he's saying, these Sadducees, these Samaritans, all these people are my people. It's not about some group being better than another group. No Jew, no Greek, no free, no slave, is how Paul describes it later. Isolation story, who's playing out that story? Have you heard of a group called the Essenes? The Essenes went and made their own little community. Let's get away from the rest of them. Let's only read stuff that we write and let's only sing songs that we sing and let's do our own pure little thing and stay away from all those people because they're going to pollute us. What's Jesus say to them? He's saying, no, 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 that's not how it's meant to work. I can see why you're doing this. I can see why you're getting away to your own pure thing to stay away from the impurities of the world. But you're meant to be salt. You're meant to be light. You're meant to be in the world, not of it. You're meant to be my agents on this planet. Accumulation story? Was anyone playing an accumulation story in Jesus' time? Do you know Jesus actually talks, you have tax collectors obviously, yes, they're accumulating. Jesus talks more about money and possessions than any other topic. But in this accumulation story, well, what about a rich young ruler? What's Jesus say to him? What he's actually saying is, am I enough for you? Are you defined by your things? And what would your identity be if you didn't have all these things? Am I enough for you? Which is the same question he's still asked today, by the way. Am I enough for you? There's a different story. It's this Jesus story. In this Jesus story, there's a whole different way to do life. This whole exploring a Christ-centered worldview. Everything changes when we live out of this story. When we put Jesus, as we call it, Christ-centered, when Jesus is at the center, we're living a different story. Now, unfortunately... People did these domination stories and they dressed them up as a Jesus story. We saw that in Nazi Germany. All these revenge stories, they dressed them up as a Jesus story and they're revenging in Jesus' name. All these purification stories, well, we're gonna, we're, it's that group over there and we're being, the, we're being Jesus people and you're not, so let's get you smoted. Or these isolation stories, we're going to do our own thing and do it just for, like, it's just for us. These things are happening all around us today. And we can sometimes dress them up as a Jesus story, but they're not. This Jesus story is a Christ-centered worldview community. And this Jesus story is lived out through the church. One of the reasons why I think church is important is because the world is dying for a Jesus story. All these empire stories are what we see all around us. All these empire stories is what we see in workplaces and families and as empires destroy each other. They're playing out these stories The world is desperate to see this story. It's desperate to see people who serve one another. It's desperate to see people who put others ahead of ourselves. It's desperate to see people, or as Revelation describes, it calls it a remnant who follows Lamb wherever he goes. This group of people who, despite what empire story is lived out, despite what country or what system you're living in, despite all of that, the stories around you, you're committed to a Jesus story. Or I live for a different story. That's why I think the church is important. Because the church is the agency that Christ put on this planet to live out this story. The church is the agency Christ put on this planet to show the world what happens when a group of people live life his way. 
The church is the agency to show that in race societies, what's the church showing? It's showing race isn't determining your value. We're all in here together. And that's one of the reasons I actually like sitting here this morning and, and meeting Alexander from Brazil. And you've got Roy from your South Korea, I'm guessing. And you've got, but it doesn't matter. Because in this new community, that race is not there. And we're meant to be a group of people who live out this Jesus story and show Melbourne there's a better way to do it where race doesn't matter. Or we live out this Jesus story and we show Melbourne there's a better way to do it where my social status doesn't matter. And where what I own doesn't even belong to me. And we show Melbourne a better way where everything I have belongs to God my car, my house, any money I've accumulated, my, if, if I've got any acumen at all, it belongs to God, which is Daniel in Babylon. Daniel, Daniel's living in the midst of all these empire stories. Yet he's saying, I purpose in my heart that I belong to a different story. And when the king comes along and says, you're very clever, he goes, no, no, even my brain belongs to God. We're living out a different story. It's not this accumulation thing. And we're the community of people that show what happens when those who have are generous to those who have not. And we look after one another, or as Paul says in Romans 12, where we're encouraging, we build one another up, where we're sharing with one another, where there's hospitality. In a world that encourages individualism, this Jesus story is a community that puts one another first. That's a very rare thing in our culture to see a spot where we genuinely value a human person. They're not commodities. They're children of God with dignity. They're not people we put value on. Their value is inherent because they're Jesus' children as well. And this is why I think this church community is dreadfully important. And this is why I think it gets described as the object of Christ's supreme regard, his agency of grace on this planet. Because what we're doing sitting here in this community is probably the most significant thing happening in Melbourne today. Not probably, because governments aren't going to solve this stuff. Christ's community, his, he calls us his body. Sometimes we forget how significant this is. So what I'm saying is community is important. Great. But you can get community anywhere, even though it's a, our society works against community. But this is not any community. This is a Christ-centered worldview community. This is the new community. This is the Jesus story. This is the revolution amongst all these empire stories. This is a group of people who are going to do life differently. That's another reason why I think church is important. Why an Adventist church? Because Christ can work in all sorts of communities. Why an Adventist church? That's this afternoon's topic. So this afternoon we're going to talk about why I believe a Christ-centered worldview becomes expressed in how we go about Sabbath. I'll give you some clues because Sabbath is when time doesn't equal money. Sabbath is a day where we don't have commodity. Sabbath is a day where I'm not earning, so I don't have an employer or an employee. We're all equal. Sabbath is the day that celebrates what it is to be this Jesus story. Sabbath is the embodiment of Jesus story. Or what Walter Brueggemann writes, he says, Sabbath is the resistance against the commodified culture. So that's why I think if there's any community that's going to live out a Jesus story, it's going to be a community that has a Sabbath. It's going to be a community that really believes in community. Because all through scripture, God deals in communities. 
And all through Scripture, Scripture is not an individual story, even though we so often sell it that way today. We've forgotten the value community that's in Scripture. Even in death, Adventists believe, you don't have to have one by one. How are we all going to go to heaven? As one, or Revelation describes it, is this triumphant community. So I think all through Adventist belief and practice, we have this centrality of being this God-centered or Christ-centered community. I think if you ask God what his dream is for his children, I think his answer would be community. Sin destroys community. The church is about being this agency on the planet that shows the world a Christ-centered worldview community. You and I get to be part of that. That's one of the, that, that is the most significant mission, that we give our life for the same thing that Jesus gave his life for, which is the redemption of mankind, and he chooses that redemption through this church community. So I don't think church community is just important, which is the topic for today. Is church community important? It's vital. It's vital for you. Because without it, you can get dragged down to what Paul says, this lonely, isolated view of the world in Romans 12. And this afternoon, we're going to talk lots more about Romans 12. It's vital because there's a world out there of desperate need. And sometimes they don't even know it. And they're giving their life to all sorts of grids. And they swap one form of materialism for another form. They realize it's meaningless, but then consumerism just pops up in another guise and says, no, give me life to me now. Yet amongst all that, there's a Jesus story. And a Jesus saying, no, give your life to me. And I'll work in and through you. And he says, this church, I'll work in and through it. And this is my body. And we get to be this Jesus story to Melbourne. That's the most significant thing you can be doing with your life. As I say, when Roy asked me to preach this topic, I thought, well, I'm preaching to converted because you're here. But at the same time, I thank Roy for the opportunity to preach this to, to, to here because I think sometimes we forget how important it is that we are here and what here is. Here is, here is not the goal of church. Here is a spot where we encourage and support and nurture and share with one another like you're going to be doing today. But then from here, we be that community. Church is wherever you're going to end up this week and wherever you're going to build God's kingdom this week. And Melbourne City Church is not 10th floor and 500 Collins Street. Sure, you're here this morning together. But church is going to be wherever. Shannon, you're still doing graphic design stuff or something like that. Wherever Roy's going to be hanging out, wherever Michael's going to be. You you do law or something? No? Yep, I have got you right. See, I've got you my nice little box for you. Wherever you're operating on your law stuff, wherever that is, that's where church is. And that's not just important. That's vital. As we live out who Jesus is, we live this Christ-centered worldview as we be the Jesus story.